Welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. I'm the co-founder of CoolMomPicks.com. Kristen is out this week, but I am so happy to be joined by a terrific guest, Amy Koppelman. We're going to have a candid talk about postpartum depression and women's mental health and the new film she directed based on her critically acclaimed novel, A Mouthful of Air. So let me tell you a little bit about Amy Koppelman if you don't yet know her. She is a writer, director, producer, and the author of three critically acclaimed novels, I Smile Back, Hesitation Wounds, and A Mouthful of Air. She produced and co-wrote the film adaptation of I Smile Back, starring Sarah Silverman, who received a SAG Award nomination for the role. Her feature film directing debut is the new adaptation of her novel, A Mouthful of Air, which stars Amanda Seyfried as a new mom dealing with postpartum depression. It has an incredible cast, including Finn Whitrock, Amy Irving, Paul Giamatti, Alicia Reiner, who is a previous Bond guest, and more. And what's especially cool is the film is Amy's first undertaking in which she wears four hats. Screenwriter, director, producer, and illustrator. Clearly, she comes from a very talented family. If you recognize her last name, her husband, Brian Koppelman, may be familiar to those of you who are fans of Billions, like me. And her sister-in-law, Jenny Koppelman-Hutt, is a serious XM host and actually helped give me my start in podcasting. Little known fact, Amy lives in New York with her family and she's an outspoken advocate for women's mental health, which is amazing. That's just what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Did you know that I knew Jenny when we invited you on the show? No, no idea. <laughs> when my partner first moved here, he was like, how do you know everyone? And I said, New York actually isn't that big. You're actually, you, you run into a lot of people you be surprised because we don't use all of it. A lot of it is, you know, like beaches or land that we don't actually make it to. Right. Or the Statue of Liberty. Exactly. I'm not like at the Statue of Liberty that much, but if I was, I'd probably run into someone. So let's just jump right in. I want to know what inspired you to tell the story because I know a lot of it has to do with your own experience with postpartum depression, which is, I think, something that's still stigmatized and we need to talk about it more. So talk to me a little bit about your own experience and how that led to A Mouthful of Air. I wrote the book 20 years ago and we didn't really talk about postpartum depression. That wasn't really a term that anyone used. I mean, I remember writing the last scene in the book that's different than the last scene in the movie and my kids were around me. I was in a closet. Since you work in a closet, I was writing that in the closet too. And they were playing and then I wrote the scene and I remember my fingers like jumped off the keyboard because in the novel there's infanticide and I thought, is it even physically possible for a mother to hurt her children? And I remember going to the computer and there wasn't Google, it was Ask Jeeves and going to Ask Jeeves and writing like, can a mother hurt her own children? Which of course a mother can, but the thought of that was horrifying to me. And that was the first time I saw the words postpartum depression. You know, for me, I just thought it was just the depression that I had had, you know, as a child. I just thought it was more or less a variation on the same theme. And in the past 20 years, I think a lot of research has been done and we understand that postpartum depression exists, that it's different than regular depression. It can be a one-off that just happens for somebody who's never experienced depression before. And it could also be for people who have had trauma after giving birth, many of the different mechanisms that we've used to like subjugate our own memories go by the wayside because we have this like little baby that looks up to us with these big eyes, you know, and it's our job to protect them. And I think for many women, we can't help but remember viscerally even, you know, the ways in which we weren't protected. I wrote the book in retrospect, probably trying to figure out what would have happened if I hadn't gotten the help I needed. At the time, I just was writing a novel about a character who had so much shame. 
whether it was real shame for things she should be ashamed of or just her fear of things that she hadn't even done. So I'm really glad that you gave us some perspective in terms of going to askjeeves.com to look things up. That really reminds us how far we've come since then. I mean, I know a lot of our listeners are fans of blogs and mom blogs, and there's a lot more talk about postpartum depression these days, but I'm kind of wondering what changes you've seen from your perspective over the past two decades? What's changed, if anything, that you adjust in the film adaptation? Or is it a pretty faithful adaptation of the book and how things were back when you wrote it? Well, I hadn't actually thought about making this book into a film until a couple of years ago, I was driving down the West Side Highway and I was listening to Doctors Radio or something. And I heard a woman call in from the middle of the country and she was crying. And in my imagination, I always picture her standing by an ironing board for some reason. And she was speaking to the people on the doctor's radio and she was describing how she was feeling. And I knew she, you know, this woman had postpartum depression and they were saying to her, you know, we think you have postpartum depression. You should speak to your doctor. I can't possibly speak to my doctor. You should speak to your pediatrician. I can't speak to my pediatrician. You should tell a family member. I can't tell a family member. You should tell your clergy. I can't tell anybody. They would think so horribly because I'm so petrified. I'm so scared. Something's going to happen to my child. I'm a terrible mother. I remember thinking, God, wait, like I thought everybody knew about this by now because, you know, there were some famous people who had spoken about it and were on the cover of, you know, People magazine. And what I realized is, yes, so many people have spoken about it. And now the term is a term that we use. But individual women, even though we know that it exists, I think we still feel a huge sense of shame if we're experiencing those symptoms. Because unlike if you have asthma and you know you went to the park with your child and you were having an asthma attack and you whipped out an inhaler and you took a puff, you would never think, oh, I'm a bad mother. But you know, if you go to the park with your child and you put them in the swing and you think the chains are gonna fall down, you know, that have been at the park forever, like that's gonna be the moment and the baby's going to fall to the ground or the man 20 feet away is there really to take your baby or you just can't stop seeing danger. You don't look at that as an inability to breathe or as a symptom. You just look at it like, you know, you're a bad mom and not as competent as all the other moms at the park around you. And I think that's one of the hardest things about depression is that the symptoms reinforce the illness. You know, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You'll never be good enough. Those are the symptoms. That is profound and important. And I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad that you also pointed out that postpartum depression is one aspect of women's mental health. And traditionally, we all knew the term histrionic comes from women's bodies, that for so long, women's feelings have been discounted. Mental health has been dismissed as being something like you could just smile more or be happier or just cheer up. And I think you're right. There's still this stigma in general for women and for mothers that we are supposed to be a certain way. We are supposed to be positive. We are supposed to love our kids the second they come out of the and that that isn't always people's reality. Well, I think that from the time you're a little girl, you're given a doll and you're told about this kind of maternal instinct that you're supposed to have. And I think so much of how we value ourselves is within the purview of that maternal instinct, you know, and what we perceive that that means. So, you know, you have this baby and you think suddenly you're supposed to have this innate idea of like how to change the diaper or somehow your baby's crying and, and you feel like, oh, you must not have maternal instinct because you can't figure out how to get the baby to stop crying. The truth is, is that's not what the maternal instinct is. 
for me, my mission's always been to say the most important thing about being a good mom is to be there for your children. And, you know, this is a very overused word now, but to be present, to really be there. So when you're in the park with your child and you're depressed and so you're there, but you have this very gauzy feeling between you and your child, or you're constantly anxious and your heart is racing a million miles an hour, you're not really getting to have the experience of being a mom and the joy of that. And, you know, Amanda and I, when we were talking about this movie, we thought if we were able to help one person or as corny as it sounds, if we were able to get to that woman by her ironing board and let her know that she wasn't alone and this didn't mean she was a bad mom or she didn't have a maternal instinct, that she just had an illness no different than asthma or diabetes and that there wasn't anything to be ashamed of. I think part of the problem is, is that we as women have to share it with other women. Like I'm an older mom now. I have very old kids. So if I see a younger woman struggling, you know, I can say, you know, how are you or how are you doing or how are you feeling? And from woman to woman, if we pay attention and we try to help just the people around us, that slowly we can destigmatize it so that when we're in those early parenting groups and women are talking about when their child sat up or when their child rolled over or when their child started to walk, we can also say, how are you feeling? Because I remember the first year of my son's life, I don't think I slept at all. I remember I was so petrified that if I closed my eyes for even a second, you know, something would happen to him. And I remember thinking like, if only I could like take two toothpicks and open my eyes with the toothpicks so that they wouldn't accidentally close, you know, because <laughs> this idea that if I looked away for just one second, something terrible would happen, it was paralyzing. I just very much like to not have women feel those feelings because that sense of aloneness and sadness, it robs you of the joy of getting to have this beautiful little baby. I really love how you're talking about reaching even one woman and how meaningful that is. And I'm glad you brought up Amanda Seyfried because if I can be frank, when I first started watching the movie, I thought, wow, there's like a lot of beautiful people in this movie. <laughs> so obviously she's gorgeous and Whitrock is gorgeous. Alicia Reiner is beautiful. But I started thinking like, wait a minute, maybe this is intentional because in a way it was reminding me of how, you know, an influencer culture, we look at these gorgeous moms on Instagram who seem to have like hot, rich husbands. We assume their lives are perfect. They have fabulous clothes. They're so styled. They seem so great. And we don't always think about what might be going on behind the scenes or how they are. And in fact, the main character, Julie, to me, one of her standout characteristics is she seems so happy on the outside or like she, and I say this in quotes, she should be happy. Like she is a hot husband. She's a healthy baby. She has a fun job. So I was wondering if that casting was intentional and if you thought about that. Well, I wanted to write about a character who loved life, like loved being a mom, loved her family, saw all the beauty in the world. I see like that little yellow flower that punches through the ice every spring and appreciated it all, but really believed in her heart of hearts that the best thing she could do for her family and the way to keep them the most safe was for them to live in the world without her. And I thought it was important to show depression not as like a sepia tone, heavy black eyeliner, dark thing, but to show that, you know, it is often just the person you see walking down the street smiling that's actually in a very dark place. 
the intentional part of this person's story in terms of what you're talking about is I wanted to take away every obstacle possible. So she has a husband that loves her. She isn't under financial duress. She has a job that she can work at from home. And I wanted to do that because I didn't want there to be an excuse for the depression because imagine, you know, what happens if you make the person a single mom, if you add one subway stop to the person's workday. I mean, the power of depression or the, you know, virulence of it is like I keep saying the same as asthma or diabetes. And so I didn't want there to be an excuse. And, you know, I wanted to say like, if this could happen to her, then imagine and good medical care. And still the power of the illness is louder than all the people around her. And so that was, yes, the intentional part. And what I took away from that is that, you know, a lot of women kind of bear this burden in silence, as you said, it's unseen. And they don't want to speak up sometimes, I think because we're made to feel like, well, others may have it worse. Well, who am I to complain? I live in a nice house or I have a career. I'm not struggling here, so I shouldn't talk about it. And I felt like it opened the door to let any woman know that it's not that you should be happy or you should be healthy, that this can hit anyone. And I thought that was actually a really interesting choice. And I hope very helpful for a lot of viewers. And one thing you did that I thought was really interesting in the film is that there's really an interesting role of men (laughs) and partners. I just want to hear your views on partners and supporting new moms who are struggling. Like I was really hit by the line when he says, you left no room for me to get mad at you. And it kind of seemed to me like there were a lot of men in her life who kind of just don't get it or don't see her. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but talk to me a bit about the role of partners in supporting women struggling with postpartum depression. Yeah. No, with him, he doesn't say that meanly. No, it was very confessional and honest. Yeah. I mean, I think when you love somebody who is depressed, I really wanted to show the other side of it. He loved her. He did everything right. It's very hard for a man. You're always on the outside during the time that your partner's pregnant because, you know, the baby and the woman are one and you just are physically, you know, separate from this unit. For even the most caring, attentive man, it's very hard to figure out where you fit in and what you're supposed to do. When you love this person, we all are like this. If we love anybody who's ever had suicidal ideation or tried to you know, hurt themselves, you never want to be the person who was so mean you put them over the edge. You know, you're petrified of that. And so that's what he meant when he was saying that to her. You know, I can't get mad at you because if I get mad at you, something terrible might happen. You didn't leave any room for me to get mad at you. You know, I feel bad for him when she gets pregnant the second time. He's basically a prisoner until she has their child because there's nothing he can do. You know, they are together, they're one, and he has to kind of just wait it out. I thought it was important to show that because there's nothing romantic about depression and a person who's suffering from depression, you know, there's nothing heroic about it in the way that they make it in movies. Suicide's the most selfish thing you could do. The collateral damage of suicide, even if you're very, very depressed and you have postpartum depression and you're so sure that this is the right option, it's just not. Your logic is off and you're understanding of right and wrong is off. You can't adjust the volume of the voice that's telling you that you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough or you know something bad might happen to the child if you're around them because you're not well. You know, the burden doesn't just fall on partners. And I really liked the scene a lot where the doctor says that now because of her, he asks new moms how they're doing mentally and not just physically. There's obviously a really important role in our doctors and nurses and doulas and caregivers to look at this and help address it and support women. And I'm wondering if you're seeing 
changes like that over the past 18 years? Well, the film takes place in in 1995. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we really hadn't talked about it then. And I do think now when women give birth in certain states, there is mandatory screenings. And, you know, a really important thing that your listeners should know is that if you're feeling weak or not, well, the first thing you should do is get your thyroid tested Often after giving birth, you could have something called postpartum Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and it can mirror a lot of the symptoms of depression, you know, physical weakness and sadness. But we still don't have mandatory screening and maternal mental health is something that's gravely overlooked. And I think one thing that everybody has taken note of in the pandemic is the burden that's placed on the mother. Yes, for sure. One of the things I noticed and it was the most moving for me is that my daughter, who's about to turn 22, to, she knows about postpartum depression and somehow in the algorithm of Instagram <laughs> over the summer at some point, she sent me this message from this woman named Birds Papaya. She has a huge following and she was pregnant and she was talking about having perinatal depression. And she called me and she said, you know, you have to watch this woman's videos. Look at her. She's talking about postpartum depression. And I thought, this is amazing. Here's my daughter who's 21. She knows what this is. She knows she can tell me about this. And, you know, God forbid this happens to her. She she won't have the same fear and shame that, you know, I felt. I also through this met this um, man, you probably know him, um, Dr. Harvey Karp, the pediatrician. Of course, yes. A two times Bond guest. Yeah, he's fantastic. Okay, so, okay I'm in love with Dr. Karp. Yes, um, he's, he's lovable. <laughs> and I met Dr. Karp in doing this. He was an investor and supporter in the film. And he talks a lot about the fourth trimester and this idea that, you know, until modern times, women were always supported by having a community around them and family around them and that women really do need this fourth trimester where we help each other, we bring each other soup or we ask how they're doing or we come over and just be like, hey, do you want me to sit with you? Do you want me to watch the baby while you go take a bath? And how vital sleep is and how much sleep affects having depression and how much it can mitigate it if you get sleep. I'm glad you're talking about resources and help and people out there who are knowing more than we did 20 years ago. And obviously my heart goes out that you went through this, but it's so incredible to me that you're using this opportunity to help other women and pay it for it and support people so that maybe fewer have to go through it or as intensely. So what are some of the resources that you would recommend to listeners who may be struggling with this or have friends or family members where they might be seeing the signs in this? Like, do you have favorite resources or places that you turn? So there's many places that you can call. There's, you know, the March of Dimes. There's Postpartum Support International, Maternal Mental Health Alliance, you know, in America. And there's mental health organizations within different states. You can go online. NAMI has, of course, the most reputable places, the National Institute for Mental Health. And I think if you go online, you will be able to find local places. But one place that I just found out about, you know, in the process of the movie's release is this place called Project Healthy Minds. It's a nonprofit that you can go online and they will match you up with somebody. You can give them your insurance information. You can tell them what kind of help you want, whether it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist. For some people, it could be a spiritual leader. And you have the anonymity of it being a website. It's not perfect yet. It's still the early stages of getting it to function great. But this idea that it would be like kayak for mental health, I, I think that will really be very helpful. If you have a friend or somebody that you love that you think is undergoing this, the most important thing is that you get them to a doctor. It's very hard to understand, but when you're depressed, so many of the symptoms of depression are the same thing as the illness. So you feel that everything's futile or you feel physical 
physically exhausted. Everything seems very, very impossible. So you can give your friend the name of a doctor to call, but that doesn't mean that they'll be able to call the doctor. Like you might actually just have to call the doctor, take them, you know, and force them to get the help that they need, or at least speak to somebody. It's not easy. I mean, even me, who no one would think that I was passing judgment on them. I had a friend pretty recently, you know, a, a younger mom who I understood she was experiencing postpartum depression and having the conversation with her, she was really offended by me and, and really hurt by me and thought I was passing judgment on her, me of all people in the world. And, you know, I just thought, okay, that's okay. She can be upset with me now, but I just have to get her to a doctor because then at least I know that if I get her to the doctor, then there's a chance something will click and she'll start talking about how she's feeling or take medication. It's really important to understand also that if taking antidepressants, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to take antidepressants for the rest of your life. Often with postpartum depression, you just take it for a certain period of time and then you're weaned off of them. And I think we still have a lot of misconceptions of how antidepressants work and how they make you feel. And, and they don't make you feel numb and they don't make you feel like if you had a drink or if you got high, they don't change your state of mind. They more serve trampolines so that when you're in free fall and you feel like everything is you know, getting away from you, you know that there's only so far that you can fall before you get caught. You know, There's something beneath you. And knowing that you have that support, you're able to actually feel more. You know, I used to have this fear of, oh, I would start crying. What if I started crying and I was never able to stop crying because, you know, I just started crying and it was just the sadness in me was so much I wasn't able to stop crying. And I remember when I went on antidepressant medication for the first time, I was able to feel so much more. I remember I was able to drive in the car and hear a song and cry and not be scared that if I started to cry, I would never be able to stop crying. And all the cliches of like, you know, everything going from black and white to color is true. You're able to feel like yourself again. And it's really important that you give yourself that chance of getting better and really do try to understand that it is no different than asthma. You know, hopefully one day they'll be able to quantify in a way that makes us feel less ashamed because, you know, we can see the data, you know, they can measure your oxygen and maybe they'll be able to do quick brain scans that are cheap and fast. And so you'll be able to see that it's not that you're making it up or you're just too weak or too spoiled. But for now, just at least try to listen to the people around you, even if you aren't 100% in on it and just give it a chance, give yourself a chance to be there for your children and to get to be a mom because there's nothing more wonderful than getting to see your kids grow up, all of it, even the really scary parts when they have a high fever and you know they're crying and you don't know why. And you know your daughter's dating somebody who you're worried is going to break her heart. Like, you know, all the, all the things, <laughs> oh, yeah. all those parts of motherhood, it's the most wonderful gift. So I hope this movie helps people get to experience that because nobody should take their life. Well, thank you. I really hope it inspires people. I hope it opens up discussions. I hope it helps not just a few people to recognize themselves and the main character, but maybe recognize it in their friends or partners or wives or sisters. And again, it's called A Mouthful of Air. And I know we can find the book wherever books are sold, but where can we find the movie these days? I always think that after a conversation like this, someone's going to be like, there's no way I'm watching that movie. Like, what a bummer. But it is a pretty <laughs> movie. It's not, it's not a PSA. Listen, anyone who sat through No 
country for old men can like watch this. <laughs> There's a lot of movies about depression out there that are heavy or difficult and it doesn't make them not good movies to watch. Actually, I think it'll be reassuring for a lot of people who will recognize themselves in it. And it's just nice that you're destigmatizing it simply by talking about it and having like these incredible celebrities be a part of it. I think it, it will remind women that, you know, it's okay to be not okay, as we often say. And so, so tell me where we can find the movie. Uh on any of those streaming services, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Voodoo, Voodoo, you know, all those kinds of places. And if anybody wants to watch this, not only can you watch it streaming or on demand through any number of services, I like to use the little microphone on my Roku remote that gives me the universal search so I can just go right to the channel. And you can learn more about it at a mouthful of air on Instagram, just all one word, a mouthful of air. And there's plenty of information there. And so Amy, you're going to stick around for cool pics of the week. Yes. Sure. Excellent. Now it's time for cool pics of the week. Cool pics of the week. And Amy, as our guest, you get to go first. And I can't wait for this one because you set me up just a little bit up front and I want to know where this is going. Okay. I have to tell you, I've been so worried about this cool pics of the week. I was like, cool <laughs> pics of the week. I mean, there's nothing cool. I say, you know, in alone in a dark room, I was like writing. I'm like, okay, what's a cool pic of the week? But I have to tell you that the thing that has really changed my life and it's, I think it's been my cool pick for like the past month is, and this is so old news, is that little frother thing that you like stick in your hot milk and it makes it foamy. Yes. I, I know we have one. <laughs> it is, it has changed my life. Like I go, I take the milk, put lots of sugar in it. Then I froth it up. And I'm basically spend like all day drinking just like hot oat milk with sugar, which is sugar on sugar and hot water. <laughs> and it's making me so happy. And sometimes I'll just keep frothing it and frothing it until I get the milk so high in the cup. And it's really ridiculous. But that is my pick of the week. It's really giving me so much joy. It's not ridiculous. And in fact, we are of one mind today, Amy. Our picks could go together because I wanted to talk about the UI self-warming mug. What? And I have wanted a self-warming coffee mug since the beginning of the pandemic because I sit at my desk, I make coffee in the morning with the frother sometimes. <laughs> and then it's cold in like a half an hour because I get in the zone writing. And suddenly I'm like, oh shoot, it's like 11. I didn't finish my coffee. And it made me crazy. I've been wanting one for ages. So my tech gig partner, he searched everywhere for the best one. And he found this one. It's called UI, self-heating mug. It's from a company called Ohom, O-H-O-M. We just wrote about it on Cool Mom Tech. So you can look at it. Oh my God, I'm going to so get wonderful. that. It really works. It's like a little chi charger that goes on your table. It looks like a little, almost like a coaster with a plug in it. And then that warms up the, it's an actual beautiful ceramic mug. So it doesn't look like some high tech thermos device with like LCD readouts. Like I just wanted a pretty mug to drink my coffee out of that would stay warm. And that's what it is. So I love it. I'm very happy. That's so funny because <laughs> I feel like a chemist because like I pour the milk into the mug. Then I put the mug in the microwave. Then I heat the milk up. Then I take the frother thing. It's just the amount of time it takes for me to figure out how to have this warm cup of frothy sugar. But now I'm going to get that mug and that'll save me a step and keep it all frothy and sugary on my desk. Amy, I will send you the link. It's fabulous. And listen, I think at a time that we feel very out of control, 
of our worlds. The idea of being able to have that process and that routine of making the coffee or the oat milk the way we want it, it like gives you a sense of purpose in the morning and something to wake up for. And it's something you can control. So I will never say no to a cool pick around coffee. (laughs) So thank you. I'm so happy. I was like, I'm going to fail this cool pick. And so I didn't fail it. So I'm very happy. It's fantastic. We will link both of these items up on our podcast page, plus all the information you heard about today that Amy talked about. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our guest, Amy Koppelman, and our awesome engineer, John Bowen. Woohoo! Cue the applause sound effect. <laughs> hey, if you've got a moment and can leave us a nice review, five stars, seems like a good round odd number. We'd greatly appreciate your time by doing that and by subscribing it really helps listeners like you find us and it means a lot to us you can also join us in our spawn podcast community on facebook where we chat about show topics or pretty much anything else you'd like to talk about or hit us up on twitter i'm there a lot these days cool mom picks on twitter i love chatting with our listeners and our followers and fans so uh whatever you want to talk about if you happen to be there i'm there too thanks so much for listening to spawn this is liz kristen will be back next week and have a great day bye